sisters, let's open God's word together. If you will, take out your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Our text today is the end of Mark 2, but we're going to go into the beginning of chapter 3. So Mark 2, 23 to the end of the chapter, and then Mark 3 also to verse 6. Mark 3, 1 through 6. The chapter and verse divisions in our Bibles were not original to the inspired text. God did not put them there as he did the words. There were people who put those there. We think roughly about the 13 or 1400s. Sometimes I think they did a wonderful job. Sometimes I think they they got the divisions wrong. This is one of those places where I think they got the division wrong. And so our text is going to span over the the end of one chapter and the beginning of another because, as you'll see, both of those little sections have something very much in common. Today we're talking about the Sabbath. The Sabbath. It has often been said, you either take a Sabbath or the Lord will make you take a Sabbath. In other words, we're not the best at resting. And so... You either rest voluntarily in a regular way or you will find yourself taking an involuntary rest because your inability to rest will catch up with you and your health. The Sabbath is something that God has given to mankind. The idea of Sabbath, of a regular rest, is something that we need and yet we have trouble resting like we should, don't we? I'll tell you who doesn't have trouble resting cats. We got two cats in our house, and I promise you they sleep 70% of their lives, and another 20% is spent laying down awake. It is amazing how much they lay around. They don't have any trouble with this at all, but we do as human beings. It's good to have work ethics. It's good to, to want to work hard and to want to Make a living for yourself and for your family. It's good to not be lazy, and yet we tend to have an extreme with that. We tend to have a problem resting. The Sabbath is an interesting subject when you come to Scripture. In the beginning, in the very beginning, the Lord rested on the seventh day after creation, and he made it holy that seventh day. Later at Mount Sinai, when he gave the Ten Commandments, the fourth was, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy or set apart. The rule was to the Israelites, no work is to be done on that day. But as you read through the Gospels, one thing you will see over and over again is the Sabbath is a particular point of contention between Jesus and the Pharisees. So much so that we begin to wonder if Jesus did not intentionally provoke the Pharisees on this issue because perhaps of their views on it and what they they were putting other people under when it came to their views on the Sabbath. And so with that in mind, let's read our text. You'll see what I mean as we go through our text today. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23, down to chapter 3, verse 6. This is God's word. Mark writes, One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did 
when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to him, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. In our text today, I want to give you three things to go home with, three things to think about. And the first comes really directly from verse 27, where Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. You see, here's the scene. The disciples are hungry. We, we learn that from other parallel accounts in the other Gospels, Matthew and, and Luke. The disciples are going on their way and they are hungry. And that's why they begin to pluck heads of grain as they're going through these fields. They just begin to pluck heads of grain and they're, they're eating what they can from the fields because they are hungry. And the Pharisees called them out and accused them of sinfully breaking the Sabbath because they were harvesting, harvesting on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day that you're not supposed to work. You're not supposed to do your normal harvesting work or other types of works. And, and, and the disciples are harvesting. These guys are getting grain and eating on the Sabbath. You see, the Jews, they were supposed to rest from their work each Saturday. It's the seventh day. God blessed it, made it holy, and then eventually, at the Ten Commandments, gave it as a law that they were not supposed to work on this day. And it was... It was a way of God saying to the Jewish people, he was saying, I take care of you. Your well-being depends on my good gifts, not your hard work. And you need to learn that, and you need to be regularly reminded of it. That's what the Sabbath was. That's really what it was. It was a law for God to tell the people, I take care of you. Trust in me, not yourselves. Your well-being depends on me, not your hard work. So they had to learn it, and they had to be regularly reminded of it. Regularly. Every seven days, God said. And so here are these followers of this rogue rabbi going through the fields, plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath day. How dare they? How dare they break God's law like this? Don't they realize that there is nothing more important than religious observance? There is nothing more important than performing your duties of religious observance. Or so the Pharisees thought. So the Pharisees thought. You see, what had these Pharisees done? They had understood the letter of the law, but they had completely missed the spirit of it. They had understood the letter of the law, but they'd completely missed the spirit of it. You ever heard that phrase used in everyday life, the spirit of the law versus the letter of it? 
We get that phrase from the Bible. It's a biblical phrase. It comes from places like Romans 2.29, where Paul says, A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Or from 2 Corinthians 3.6, where Paul, speaking of God, says, God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant... Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Here's what that means. The letter of the law is is the words on the surface, but the Spirit of the law is its purpose. So there's the words on the surface, but there's also its purpose. And you can miss one for the other. What is God's intention in giving a particular commandment? That's the Spirit of the law. Not just the words on the surface, but surface. But why did he give it? What was his intention? What was his will? The Sabbath was a law to refrain from work one day in seven. That's the letter of the law, but why? Why was it a law? Well, because God wanted to remind mankind that their well-being depends on him and not on their own hard work and their own effort. The, the idea is we need God, not ourselves. We need to trust God, not ourselves. And the Pharisees were completely missing the purpose of the Sabbath law because the Sabbath was never given to prevent those suffering of hunger from eating. The Sabbath was not given to prevent people suffering of hunger from eating. That's not the point. That's not the spirit of the law. They had become staunch legalists. Legalists. They had turned a wonderful gift of God into a crushing burden. They had turned God's grace into a means of personal achievement. And so Jesus reminds them in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He gives us a wonderfully helpful illustration from the Old Testament. Now remember Jesus, the master teacher, he's talking to Pharisees who would have known their Old Testaments very, very well. And so he goes back to the Old Testament. He points out to them, let's go to your Old Testament scriptures that you love so much. Let's go to that and let's, let's pull an illustration out of there to prove that this has always been the intention, the, the spirit of the law. Verse 25, Jesus says to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, the tabernacle, in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. David was on the run from Saul. And he goes to the tabernacle, and he's hungry. He needs bread. He needs food. But the only food in, in eyesight, the only food he, he can find anywhere, is this bread of the presence in the tabernacle. Now, Jesus says it was only lawful for priests to eat this bread. That's right. That's in Leviticus. That's true. David is not a priest. David was not even king at this point. And he eats the bread of the presence, and he doesn't die. And Jesus implies he doesn't even get in trouble with God for it. It wasn't even a sin. How is that possible? How is it possible that God could set down a rule, a law that says the only people that can eat this bread, go read it in Leviticus, is a priest, and you can only eat it once it's been replaced by fresh loaves. The only person to eat this is a priest. And David is not a priest, nor are the men with him. And yet he was not wrong 
to do so. How is that possible? Well, the only explanation is God made an exception to his rule. God made an exception to his rule. Do you know that that can happen? Did you know that happens in Scripture? God made an, an exception. Why? Well, it's very simple. It's very simple. Some things are more important to God than others. Some things are more important to God than others. In fact, life here is more important to God than religious rituals. Life is more important to God than religious rituals. Earlier in our scripture reading, we heard Hosea 6. And I specifically want to draw your mind back to the last verse I read in that scripture reading. Hosea 6, 6. God says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. What is God saying there? He is saying, there is something more important to me than your religious rituals. There's something more important to me than your sacrifices and your burnt offering. What is it? It's steadfast love. Showing steadfast love to God and to others. The knowledge of God, to know God, he says, is more important than those burnt offerings. It's more important. There's actually a hierarchy in the mind of God and in the law of God that God says some things are more important than others. Specifically here, life is more important to him than religious rituals. There's a hierarchy there. We, we know that this is true from other places in Scripture. Somebody comes up to Jesus one time and says to Jesus, what is the most important of all the commandments? Does Jesus reply and say, well, they're all the same. They're all equal in importance. No, he does not. What he says is, I'll give you number one, and then I'll give you number two. They're actually ranked. Number one is, love God with everything you have. And number two is, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm ranking the commandments, and here's number one, and here's number two. They're more important than all the others. That's what Jesus says. And so this is a category for many of us that's really hard to understand, but there is a hierarchy in God's law, and here God makes an exception because there are some things to God that are more important than others. Specifically, life is more important to him than religious rituals. The Pharisees had gotten this upside down. They believed observing religious rituals was more important than human life. And God says no. Jesus says no. I, I learned this lesson in a very, a very powerful way, I would say, in January of 2000. Because in January of 2000, an F3 tornado ripped through my hometown of Owensboro, Kentucky. And so I, we, we all remember, everyone who was there, we remember where we were. This was one of the most significant events of my childhood. But when it happened, it destroyed lots of homes. I mean, tons of them. It destroyed tons of homes in our area, not, not mine, thankfully. Not any of my friends that I knew, thankfully, but it did many. And so that next Sunday after the tornado, my dad and our senior minister organized a group of men and older boys to go out and to clean up for people who, whose homes were destroyed. And what we did was we showed up at the church at the, the break of dawn, really, in our work clothes, and we had communion and prayer. And then we left and we skipped church to go clean up people's yards. Now, I, I couldn't have articulated it to you at that point, but I knew in my heart without a shadow of a doubt that was the right thing to do. For us, it was the right thing to do, to skip 
the worship gathering and to go help people in their yards, to go help people with the homes that were destroyed. I couldn't have told you why, but I knew, I knew this is right. I remember feeling like that and not understanding it. This is right. Now understand, we, we didn't skip church for anything. Well, I can't remember ever skipping the Sunday morning worship gathering for anything but illness in my, my entire childhood. My parents instilled that in me, and yet that morning I knew this was right. Why? It's the same principle. The same principle. I desire mercy. I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. There's a hierarchy in the mind and in the heart of God. Some things are more important than others, and here he is teaching life is more important. Life is more important than religious rituals and observances. Go to the man with the withered hand there, chapter 3. The man with the withered hand. Jesus heals this man, yet the Pharisees are outraged that he did it on a Sabbath. Apparently, they even thought that miraculous healings were breaking the Sabbath. Now, in, in Matthew's account of this story, Jesus adds some words, or Matthew, I should say, adds some words of Jesus. Jesus says to these people in the, the synagogue, he says, if you have a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, will you not go and get it out? Will you not go and lift it out with work? Of course you will. Of course you will. And yet, here is a human being so much more important and valuable than an animal who needs help. And you're going to condemn me for helping him. Look at verse 5 of chapter 3. Verse 5. It says, he looked around at them with anger. The cleansing of the temple is not the only time when Jesus got angry. He looked around at them with anger. Jesus hates this kind of legalism. When we care more about an outward religious ritual than an actual human life. They had completely missed the spirit of the Sabbath law. The Sabbath was God's gift to mankind. They were not made to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to serve and bless them. And so, brothers and sisters, may we never focus so strongly on external law-keeping that we lose sight of the purpose of God's laws. God's laws are meant to bring people to Jesus, not to give the strong-willed and disciplined exalted status among their people. God's laws are meant to bring people to Jesus. Now, I want to zoom out from our text for a moment because this principle is something that we need to address. This Sabbath principle. Because my second point today is this. Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath. Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath. Now pay attention here because this might be new or even odd sounding to some. We'll start with Matthew 5.17. Matthew 5.17, Jesus is speaking to the people during the, the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is saying, Do not think that I have come to throw out the Old Testament. That's not what we're doing here. But he is doing something that people could mistake for wanting to throw out the Old Testament. He is fulfilling the Old Testament, fulfilling the law and the prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. What does that mean? Well, he is the fulfillment, for example, of animal sacrifices. 
We do not sacrifice animals any longer. Why? Jesus has fulfilled that law as the once for all sacrifice for sins. No more sacrifice is needed. Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple being the centralized location where you had to go and worship God. And Jesus tells the woman at the well in John 4, a time is coming and is now here when people will worship, not on on this mountain or that mountain, not at this place or that place, but will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Jesus is the fulfillment of the food laws and the cleanliness laws. Last week we talked about how he inaugurated a new age, a new covenant. And I want to point you to Paul's words in Galatians 3, starting in verse 23. Notice how Paul talks about the law here. He says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. What's that coming faith? Well, here's what he says. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Now watch what he says. But now that faith has come, We are no longer under a guardian. The law was the guardian until Christ came. But Paul says, now that faith has come, now that Christ has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We are no longer under the law. It was like scaffolding that a construction company puts up so that they can build a building. But once the building is erected, the scaffolding comes down. It has served its temporary purpose. And so, we don't sacrifice animals any longer. We don't have to go to a temple in Jerusalem to worship God. We don't have to follow the cleanliness laws. There are no more requirements to obey all the Old Testament festivals. Why? Because they were temporary. They were like scaffolding. Jesus has fulfilled the law. And one more thing that this means, brothers and sisters, one more thing that this means New covenant believers are no longer required to observe the Sabbath. New covenant believers are not required to observe the Sabbath. Now, it's not because we think God's commandments don't matter or they're not important. It's because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, of the Sabbath. He is the fulfillment of the law and of the Sabbath. He is the thing to which it was always pointing. Paul talks about this in Colossians 2. Let me read to you Colossians 2, 16 through 17, where Paul says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a what? A Sabbath. And then he says, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The Sabbath and all of those things we just talked about, they were shadows of the reality that was coming. Shadows, or you could say foreshadows, pointers to the reality that was coming. And so, Sundays are not Sabbath days. Sundays are not Sabbath days. There is so much confusion on this. And just about all of it comes from people going off what they have heard from others and not going by what is actually in the Bible. What is actually in the Bible. There is nowhere in the entire Bible that says Sunday is the Sabbath day. Nowhere in the entire Bible. If you are going to insist on new covenant believers observing the Sabbath, 
then to be consistent, you're going to need to become a Seventh-day Adventist. Because that's Saturday. Saturday is the only day in Scripture that is talked about as the Sabbath. The only day. Now, hear me on this, brothers and sisters. Hear me on this. This does not mean that believers out there who are observing Sundays every, every single week as a day of rest and a day given to the Lord, it does not mean that they are in sin. That's not what I'm saying. It's, a, it's a, actually a helpful thing to take one day in seven to rest. It's a helpful principle to understand. Our bodies need that. We need time where we don't focus on our work. That's, that's a helpful thing, brothers and sisters. But to put other people under the law like that and to say that Scripture teaches that Sunday is a Sabbath day or Scripture teaches that Sunday must be a day of rest, you can't find it. And you can't put people under a law that Scripture does not give. That's legalism. That's legalism putting people under a law that Scripture does not put them under. There's nowhere in the entire Bible that says you're supposed to rest on Sundays. Nowhere. There are many people who have to work on Sundays, including ministers. But think of people like like first responders, nurses, doctors. You could probably think of others. If that's you, you should not feel guilty about that. You should not carry around guilt there. Now, Now, let me tell you what I'm not saying here. I am not saying that you should not make Sunday, the Lord's Day, a priority for the gathered church. That's not what I'm saying. Sunday is the Lord's Day, Revelation 1.10. It's the Lord's Day. We learn from the New Testament that the the first church, the church in the first century, gathered on the first day of the week. Hebrews 10 tells us, do not forsake the gathering of one another, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Do not forsake it. I will be the first one to tell you, I think you need to make a priority. I think you need to organize your life around the rather regular gathering of the local church. If you have a job that forces you to work on Sundays and you can change that, I'm going to encourage you to change that. Because I think church is that important to the life of a Christian. A church, family, a body of Christ that you're involved in is the lifeblood of a believer. And so I am not saying we need to minimize the importance of Sunday worship and the gathering of the church. We need to minimize the importance of the Lord's Day. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that calling Sunday the Sabbath and teaching that it is supposed to be a day of rest is a man-made tradition. It's a man-made tradition to call Sunday the Sabbath. And to teach that Sunday must be a day of rest. And if you want to push back on me on that, that's fine. But all I'm going to ask you is, chapter and verse, where does it say it? It's not in there. It's a man-made tradition. Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath. He is its proper end, its proper goal, what it was always pointing to. The Sabbath was a pointer to Jesus, and when Jesus came, it had fulfilled its purpose. The scaffolding comes down. But I'll leave you with this. There's a deeper meaning underneath the Sabbath that all of us need to go home with. There's a deeper meaning of it. The true Sabbath rest. The true Sabbath rest is what I want to leave you with today. The Sabbath was, as Colossians 2 said, A foreshadowing of of the one who would give us true rest. Jesus says in Matthew 11, 
Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Rest from what? Rest from what? Rest from the work of trying to earn your way into God's favor. Rest from the work of trying to earn your way into heaven. The true rest that the Sabbath always pointed to was the rest that we have in Christ. Jesus on the cross, John 19, 30, cries out, It is finished. It is finished. He accomplished it all. And it is our task not to accomplish more, but to put our faith in what he accomplished. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 4, starting in verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Or Hebrews 4, starting in verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. When the author of Hebrews there says there remains a Sabbath rest, he does not mean that Christians are required to observe one day in seven and rest on Saturdays. What he means is there's a rest that you have in God, a Sabbath rest that you have. As you have entered into Christ, you've entered into God's rest, and you rest now from your labors. You rest from your works because you're secure in Christ, and he has accomplished everything for you. The Sabbath pointed ahead to the rest that we would have in Christ. And not just the rest that we have now, but the rest that we have for all eternity. An eternal rest for God's people. Heaven is an eternal rest. Heaven is an eternal rest. Scripture speaks of it as such. There is a sense in which we don't work for our salvation, yes. But there is also a sense in which We have much work to do yet for the Lord, right? We have much work to do yet for the Lord. And the work never stops until we die. In fact, not just the work that we do for the Lord, the work that we have to do in this world never stops. It never stops. We always need money. There is always another job to do. The frustration never stops. God's curse to Adam was that work would be frustrating, and it's always frustrating. There is always another problem to solve or another disappointment to endure. And it's the work of living. There's always another way that your body is failing you. It never stops, preventing you from doing what you want to do. And there's the pain of living, the pain never stops. There's always another tragedy with more death and more groaning and more asking, why God? How long, O Lord? How long will this continue? But there is coming a day of rest. There is coming a day of rest when it will all stop, when we can finally rest in Jesus. Because God will set everything right. There is coming a day when we will no longer work in a frustrating manner. But like Adam in the garden, work will be a joy. 
There is coming a day when there will be no more shootings. Because as scripture says, we will beat all our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks because weapons won't make sense anymore. There is coming a day when children will not die anymore. Instead, scripture tells us that they will be so safe and so secure they will play with snakes and lions. There is coming a day when everything will be healed. Everything will be healed. Matt Smether says of our passage here, what could be more appropriate than Jesus' healing on the day that was itself a preview of the day when healing will no longer be needed? One day, everything will be healed, whether it's a withered hand or a body riddled with arthritis or cancer or dementia whether it's hearing loss or blindness or the inability to use your legs, whether it's mental disorders, depression, anxiety, PTSD, bipolar. If you're in Christ, you are going to be healed one. You are going to be healed. It's just a matter of time. Everything will be healed. There is coming a day when we can finally rest. And it will all be over. But that rest will only be for those who give their lives to Jesus. For those who are adopted into God's family. You see, God's inheritance of eternal life only comes to his children It does not come to those outside the family. And so the question is, on the day when Jesus returns, will he say that you are in the family? If you are unsure about that this morning, I would challenge you to make sure of it before you leave today. You can do that today. You can make sure that you are in God's family today by giving your life to him, by confessing your faith in him, by forsaking your sins, and by being baptized into his name. You can be sure when you leave this place today that you are in his family and that you are right with the Father and that you will experience the eternal rest that he promises to all who love him and that you will not experience the eternal unrest, the eternal torment that all who resist his word will experience. Right now we're going to spend a few moments in silent prayer. And we give this time every week so that We can all go to God and respond to his word. And so we encourage you, we ask you that you would spend these few moments in prayer, responding to God, speaking to him about what he just spoke to you and to your heart. And then after we pray for a few moments together, we'll come back and we'll have a time of invitation where those who need to respond to God's word in a public way can do so then. But for right now, for a few moments, let's pray.